A Goliath of the Associate World stands down from Captaincy League 2 and Super League action, plus under-19 Women's T20 World Cup qualification, the Kwapuka Tournament returns, and the ICC Development Awards. But first, a shout-out to our friends at Patreon. From as little as $2 a month, you can help the cause by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. As always, plenty to talk about on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. The Emerging Cricket Podcast back once again this week online and on Sport FM in Perth. Nick Skinner is joining me, Daniel Beswick, to discuss all the action in the Emerging Cricket world this weekend. There was a ton of it. We've got cricket up to our noses. Tim is gallivanting on his little Australian tour at the moment. He's currently (laughs) in Melbourne, so he won't be joining us. We will be seeing him next week, hopefully recording all together, uh, the three of us. But Nick, how are you? You sound a little bit better after your uh, COVID bout last week. How are you doing? Yeah, it's been about a week uh, in isolation, coming out uh, in a a day or two. Uh, Although it seems like I must have infected uh, the rest of the people at work because uh, it's going to be shut for most of the rest of the week. So that's um, not very helpful. Um, but yes, yeah, so I feeling better and yeah, ready to go. Good to hear. Yeah, sound a whole lot better. Uh, I've got to give one shout out before we get started on this week's show. I managed to catch up with Barramundi's all rounder Chad oh, Soper last week over legend. a cup of coffee and some uh, brunch in uh, downtown Gosford last week. Good to see him. We had organised the greatest trade in the history of trade deals. Uh, while I was in New Zealand, I managed to secure a, a Crusaders Super Rugby jersey. He was desperate for one. He'd been trying for about three years to be able to buy one and get sent over. Couldn't, so I managed to uh, secure the package. He uh, exchanged some uh, P&G kit and he brought a duffel bag with, well, it was it was filled to the brim. And I told him, what what's all this about? And he's like, oh, that's all your, your gear, your egg. What do you, what do you think it is? So had a chat to him, talked about uh, a lot of cricket, and a lot of associate cricket and, and some of the stuff that we'll talk about in a minute as well. But yeah, just some of the, the collection, T20 World Cup gear from last year's T20 World Cup. And no one will be able to see them, but I'm currently rocking the uh, yellow pants that PNG were rolling with in the late 2010s there in the limited over stuff. It was good to see. And uh, one of the great people of associate cricket, he's just always beaming he's just sunshine epitomized mm. into a human being he's one of the one of the great people to talk to if you ever get the chance to to cross paths with him make sure to say g'day oh look and anyone who's uh, grown up on the central coast is well aware of uh, of chad soper and uh, what a top guy he is so uh, oh just just beams yes. the, the smile <laughs> alone uh let's talk about some cricket we'll talk about some of the the league two goings on first uh, because we had a retirement of sorts in the emerging world with Kyle Kutzer stepping down as captain of Scotland. Uh, it was a, an announcement that came out of left field for us. Mm. I think we were taken a little bit aback by it. it. It seemed the timing was interesting. We know he's in his late 30s, and we know that he's in the twilight of his international career, but... You know, we always see him as the as a leader of men and the undoubted leader of that Scottish national team. It's going to be very strange looking at, at Scottish cricket in the next twelve months or so with Kutzer playing in the in the team, both fifty over cricket, League Two and the T twenty World Cup, but not seeing him in a press conference or at the coin toss. So yeah, I'm interested to see interested to know what your thoughts on it 
were Nick because it was yeah it was a decision and an announcement that that came almost out of nowhere. Well, yeah, the announcement sort of came very much as as a surprise as it was just kind of tacked on at the back end of that tri series. I was kind of surprised to find out that he'd only been captain for about five years. Uh, came into the role in in 2017 after Preston Momsen stepped down. And I, I don't know, he just kind of has this eternal vibe yeah. where he just seems like he's, he's always been there. And, you know, uh, I guess that's what happens when you, you, you know, you've, you're there in this team as a player for, I think he's been there nearly 20 years. So I guess that helps. But yeah, I don't know. I, where, who, who do you reckon they go to next? You know, Richie Barrington's in his mid-30s as well. McLeod's, what, 33, 34 now? I, yeah, just thinking through the senior, I don't know. Who, who steps in? Yeah, when the announcement happened and I looked around and mind you, Cole gave himself a bowl in that last Ooh. one day international. He did one for seventeen off seven overs. Where's that been all your career, Kyle? I think I think we were the ones that requested or told him that he should <laughs> bowl more, and I don't think he took that very well. But he, he he brought himself on in that last game, and and I tell you what, they're difficult to play those dibbly dobbly medium paces that he's got. Looking at the rest of the team, Barrington was the first person that came to mind. Thirty five years of age could well sort of do the job for the next five years like Kutza has done he was probably the first person I thought about but again just because we've had Costa just do it for so long now or do it over the last five years it's just hard to see anyone else doing it while he's still in the team I can't really see any of the bowlers doing it I'm not sure maybe Chris Greaves or someone like that has some pedigree in, in leadership ranks but you know he was bouncing in and out of the 11 so I think Richie Barrington's probably the the best bet unless they look at the likes of maybe Leesky or, or Matty Cross potentially but oh, yeah, good call. yeah it's it's tough to say and we're very interested to see what direction Scottish cricket goes into now because they're playing in a T20 World Cup here in Australia later in the year they look like one of the better teams of League Two and we'll talk about the series in a moment it will just be fascinating to see how cricket scotland go and take the next step and we know that someone like kyle while he won't be treading on anyone's toes he'll be able to mentor and, and help out whoever takes the reins eventually we'll talk about the series in general two wins apiece for all three teams so the log champ i think continues uh in that regard especially between second and third with scotland and uae in that fight we know that the USA have another tri-series this week with Oman and Nepal, and it's crucial for them to, to win probably three matches in this just to kind of keep themselves going. So I'm not 100% sure what we've actually learned from all this. I know Vreet Aravin made runs. We saw a number of really good individual performances with the bat, and that was largely thanks to the Musa Stadium surface, which did seem to be more conducive of runs. A few decent bowling performances, as we talked about last week. But just to kind of wrap up, everything that that sort of happened there i'm not 100 percent sure we know what we've learned except that you know in roughly next time that this podcast goes to air next week omar will have finished their entire 36 matches of the tournament and will know what the yardstick is for other teams to chase so to look back maybe potentially at this try series again the log jam continues and it just puts a little bit more pressure on the likes of say nepal and namibia who are underneath again they're going to need to to pull you know three or four wins that the next tri-series they have to do the catching up. Yeah, I mean, you say, you know, who's going to catch up? It's, it's, it is it's it is an absolute logjam, you know. The points table, they're looking, you know, USA, they've won nine, lost 11, so they're slightly less than a 50-50 record. But then below them, Namibia, won seven, lost seven. Nepal, won six, lost six. 
ahead of them is is UAE in third spot, who've won twelve and lost eight, and then Scotland on thirteen and five. So yeah, even below Scotland, it, it's basically uh, you know there's it's it's so hard to separate any of these teams. I mean, poor old PNG down the bottom, <laughs> one one lost nineteen. Thanks for coming, but I think anyone else really is is still a pretty good shot of finishing in that top three which is going to make the back end of this tournament really exciting. As you say, um, you know, the USA have got another series coming right up with, with Oman and Nepal, and, the, and then uh, Namibia host uh, a couple of series pretty soon after, and, and Scotland have got some a home run as well. So, yeah, I, it, it, it's just hard to hard to pick. I mean, Oman, you would think, have the runs on the board in, in terms of the 40 points banked already, um, and... I guess now they're just waiting for everyone else to, to sort of see how it all shakes out. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think the USA have looked quite good in this series. You know, the, I, I was pretty suspicious of their team going in, being a bit sort of stuck in the past. But, you know, Aaron Jones uh, hit 87, uh, albeit in a losing cause. But, you know, him back in form certainly strengthens their middle order. Taylor, obviously, at the top has, has found form again. And he's uh, even picked up a couple of wickets, so that's that's always helpful. Um, and UAE, of course, we know all about. Fritja Aravind uh, hit a ton against the USA to to get the UAE home, and um, you know Zoar Farid bowled well for them. And th- there's just ah, oh, it's it's such a it's such a great tournament. This and. and Again, I know we keep mentioning it, but it is a real shame that the the battle for first place has had the the kind of sting taken out of it because there's not going to be a super league to be promoted into. So that that is disappointing. But yeah, it'll it'll still be exciting to watch the you know who can can squeeze into the. I mean, you've got basically you've got six teams who are all very good and all capable of beating each other, vying for three spots, and that's what you want as a tournament organizer and, and it is a viewer. It shows the collective talent at, at this level, and I think even some of the Challenge League teams on their current form would would probably push a number of these members. And if you look one level above, and the Netherlands, and with all the players out at the moment, and and they're still giving. The West Indies a decent push, and we'll talk about that in a second. But you know that's probably a, an A team that the Dutch are putting out at the moment. And if you were to put the Dutch in League Two, I don't think they would be nailed on certainties to to be at the top of that table. So I think it shows the the collective talent across the group. And yeah, just to to talk about some of the individuals you mentioned. Aaron Jones is still as compact and technical as he has been over the last few years. He's a joy to watch. It's been good this series just to see a few guys go about their business with the bat. Talked about last week, Kutzer before he resigned as skipper, scored a a hundred of his own. Uh, Richie Barrington we talked about last week too. Yeah, Vrida Aravind as some one of the the best young associate bats in the world, and and they're quite rare. I think you. You could only really put him in the same discussion as the likes of Vikramjit Singh, maybe from the Netherlands, who's been, you know, working hard against the the West Indies at the moment. So plenty of talent, but yeah, the results of this particular tri-series mean that we just kind of bide our time and the jury's still out as to, to who sort of takes those top three spots come the end of, of League Two and we know that the schedule is is jam-packed between now and, and the start of next year and eventually to the playoffs and then the qualifier in Zimbabwe roughly this time next year. So we wait with bated breath and again coming up 
more matches in, in Pearland, Texas. Great support mm. in the USA from a number of the guys there. We've seen our our boy PJ Hoodles with uh, <laughs> some of the best signs in, in associate cricket. How many countries play cricket have also been to the moon? My Probably my personal favourite. <laughs> uh, and again, the coverage between... Uh, Lenny and, and, and Peter Della Pena was good. It kept things rolling and, and the guys that they were able to bring in and, and talk about cricket in the USA is great. And another sort of, just to keep it in the in the EC family with the USA, Nate Hayes with the announcement of the uh, Morrisville Raptors in minor league cricket designed the logo for them. So a shout out to, to our boy Nate. I think we've all got a team to support now in, in minor league cricket with our, uh, our vested interest in Nate's design there. Uh, one final point uh, I want to bring up and and Nick I'm sure you've got a lot of opinions on this the UAE scheduling for this tournament was done in such a way that Robin Singh would be available for it given his other duties uh I think a lot of uh, quite a few people would be quite vocal about this and another one to, to kind of bring up as someone who is in a similar situation is Lal Chand Rajput who's the head coach of Zimbabwe and we saw him absent for their series against Namibia and they got touched up in the T20Is meanwhile Lal Chand was tweeting about the IPL it was a very interesting scenario i'm interested to to hear your take on these coaches and we know that in the past not so much now because associate cricket it's running all the time there's associate members playing international cricket on a regular basis at the moment and one of the great parts about league two is that you play 36 one day internationals in what was meant to be sort of a two and a half three year period on top of the t20 internationals you played it should be a full-time job for a lot of these coaches it seems that a few of these coaches are, are moonlighting and doing a couple other things on the side. I'm interested to see, you know, what can you say about, say, the commitment? Can you can you fault the, the coaches for going out and, and doing other bits and pieces on the side? Because, you know, there's a lot going on in associate cricket at the moment. It's a full-time job, and a lot of coaches take it on a full-time basis. Uh, the likes of Pierre Debrain, Joe Dawes at PNG, now Carl Sandry, guys like that, Babuda Dasanayake back at Nepal. Interested to, to get your take on, on all of that. Yeah, I don't know about this whole FIFO coach thing. I don't know whether... I don't know. I mean, you you talked about uh, Lalchand Rajput tweeting about the IPL. Um, underneath those tweets, there were usually a number of <laughs> very angry Zimbabwean fans uh, basically asking... They don't hold back. Well, exa- no, and fair enough too. I mean, why, why is he wasting his time tweeting about the IPL when he clearly... Uh, should be paying attention to the team that he's nominally the actual coach for. I don't know. It, it's it's very strange to me, this idea that getting a big-name coach who sort of isn't there most of the time can be worth it. I just don't see what they bring to the table that's so much better than someone who might be available more often, especially in the case of the UAE with you know Doug Brown, who was the previous coach before Robinson came in. And obviously... He had he'd been dealt a very difficult hand with the um the the match fixing scandal that broke in 2019 and you know his efforts to rebuild the team were were admirable and yeah I don't know does having a guy who played a few one days for India back in the day is it really worth it I I, I just don't see why it necessarily is I mean I'm sure Robin Singh is a good coach and he's imparting his wisdom to the players and you know professionally. But I just don't see because you know the the they, the UAE flew in and flew out. They played four matches in five days, all kind of based around Robin Singh's availability. If you're going to be you know messing around your team like that just so that the coach can even bother to be there, it doesn't make sense to me because as you say, there's so much associate cricket going on 
uh, especially with you know these tournaments making up time that was lost over COVID. I just don't get it, you know. It's the same with Canada. There's been so many times where they've spent money to get in a, a big-name coach. For example, Monty Desai, who coached them during the 2019 World Cricket League 2. I just really, what you know, what is a guy like that going to do in one week? I just don't see the benefit as opposed to having a, you know, someone who is available more frequently or, or more reliably. It, it, yeah, I don't, I don't get it, but... Clearly, these boards are impressed by the fact that the coaches have a full member resume. And I think potentially it's just a, a case of that old prejudice of, oh, well, we've got to get the guy who's coached in full member setups because he must be better than our guys when I don't necessarily know if it is. Yeah, it's a strange one. And I think we talked about it either last week or two weeks ago that on-field performance, a lot of the time, you know, there's always correlation between the stability of the board, the coaching and the players in that sort of, that triangle of organisation. And you take a look at the likes of, say, Dulit Mendes at Oman, Pierre Debrain at Namibia, they're both fully 100% engaged in their respective countries and, and no one else. Joe Dawes... Uh, at PNG is someone that really understood the culture of, of Papua New Guinea and cricket. He'd actually been there and, and lived in Port Moresby and he actually knew how to really mould the players and get the players to pull in the same direction. You would think that, you know, to take the Zimbabwean example, it, it must be strange for the players knowing that, you know, the coach isn't there 100% of the time and they've just been touched up again by Afghanistan in in Super League cricket as well. And, and yeah, again, you don't really need to be a genius to know that things in Zimbabwean cricket aren't going too well lately. It's just, I suppose, another thing to think about. Let's move on to uh, some more one-day international cricket with the Netherlands uh, hosting the West Indies. We did talk about the first match in great depth last week. I was able to kind of chip in with the recording of the of the update of the second match given you know how we were recording that previous week. Uh, 3-0 defeat for the Netherlands. I don't think it really does them justice, that scoreline alone. And I know that a lot of people would probably stand there and say, well, you know, it'd be great if they were able to jag a result. And, you know, if you come away with nothing, it's it's still nothing. I, I don't really think that's particularly true in this case. I think we know the situation of the likes of mandatory release and, and them only being able to, to put out, you know, what's almost a, an A-team, you know, almost a whole bowling attack key players in that middle order missing and some of the first men picked on the team sheet at the top of the order were the ones that continually performed and it makes me think that you know in a in a utopian world where the Dutch get to play their best 11 they push the likes of the West Indies and other full members of that ilk talking about some of the, the the great starts you know they put on a 100 run partnership in the second match and they were I think Nick you said they were two for 200 you know just before the 40th over in the in the third match so they were putting themselves in good positions I was particularly impressed actually with with Scott Edwards and I know we talked about Max O'Dowd and, and Vikramjit Singh in the last in the last show and we'll probably bring them up here again they were outstanding the way they kept things going I thought that Scott Edwards sometimes came in in, in tricky situations and there was maybe one occasion where he might have got bogged down a little bit in the middle order but he was able to be the kind of water carrier through at least yeah one one or two of those innings in that series they just weren't able to put together that total that was insurmountable for the West Indies and then in the last game they they just couldn't quite chase down that huge score of 308 albeit you know giving it a pretty good nudge yeah match two um, as, as we know they um, comfortable victory in the end for the West Indies but they were five for 99 after yeah I think about 23 overs 
Um, and, you know, the Netherlands being none for 100 after 20 overs. I mean, the, these are the kind of moments where a more experienced team or, or a team with a couple more of the, uh, the the senior guys who've been in these positions a lot more, they would take those opportunities. Uh, you know, as you say, two for 200 in 37 overs, you know, needing eights in the last 12 overs with eight wickets in hand, that's doable, especially these days in, in one-day cricket. And especially against, <laughs> I mean, you know, w- with no disrespect, the West Indies bowling lineup here is not fear-inducing by any stretch of the imagination. So, and and I mean, even in the last four overs, they needed 49 with five wickets in hand. That should probably be doable, you know, for a team that has more of its, uh, you know, high quality players available to them. And yes, we, we talked about mandatory release, but even Vikram Singh, again, two more bright starts and, and two more uh, innings given away around, I think he, he got past 50 in the last game, but, you know, let, let's say he pushes on and gets to 100 instead and, and, you know, that allows everyone else to just go a little bit harder. You know, it's things like that where the, just the experience uh, and, and the big match kind of awareness and, and, and situational muscle memory, I guess, is important. And, yeah, I mean, the fact that it is such an understrength team that got pretty close, you know, they lost by 20 runs in the end in the third match, chasing 308, that's not bad. Um, and, you know, having them five down for under 100, again, that's that's not bad. So, yeah, I, I just, it, it is frustrating that they came away with zero points in the Super League, but now we're back to the question of the Super League in that, yeah. well, the whole thing's been cancelled anyway, so why, why does it even matter if they got zero points? So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of a, a frustrating situation for them because they're not going to have the opportunities that they would have liked to get their best team on the field. And in addition to that, they're not going to have the chance to, you know, go again next time. So it's almost like, well, why, why bother treating it as anything but an A-team tour? It's almost a great opportunity, really, where they get to try and blood some new talent, the likes of Arian Dutt playing a little bit more in the in the senior international team. And, and we know he's been around for, you know, a few years now. We've talked about him on, on multiple shows, but, you know, managed to, to pick up Nicholas Peran three times in the series. You know, not many people can say they've ever been able to dismiss, you know, one of the best players in, in the world in, in someone like Nicholas Perrin, let alone do it three times. So, you know, maybe it is just good prep and, and a good chance for Peter Saylor and and Ryan Cook, of course, who's filling in for, for Ryan Campbell once Cambo's back. He can take a few of these performances on board and, and see in terms of the World Cup qualifier next year, what the Dutch can do, who they have at their disposal in Zimbabwe. And this is just a good opportunity for, for the Dutch. They host England coming up as well. And England, as we as we mentioned last week, are boasting a pretty strong squad that they're sending out to the Netherlands. It's a packed schedule of Dutch cricket. And you would hope that the KNCB would really try to harness all the attention and hopefully get a few crowds in and, and do a couple of extra bits and bobs. But hearing things around the traps they're not quite capitalizing on on things as as well as they could be you know it was a bit strange looking at both of those teams not play with a a sponsor on the front of their shirts there which i feel is a is a hugely it is a missed opportunity for everyone involved just to kind of, you know, keep the lights on and, and keep things moving in your respective boards. And you would hope that, yeah, there was a little bit more opportunism in the in the way that the KNCB dealt with things, especially with this busy summer that they've got coming up. Uh, unfortunately, it, it doesn't seem to be the case. Let's move on. Uh, the first of the under-19 Women's T20 World Cup qualifiers has begun. The Asian qualifier, which... 
began uh, the end of last week into this week. And as we're recording this, a couple of teams have stood out, namely UAE and, and Thailand. UAE with quite a head-turning performance against Nepal, bowling Nepal out for just eight, which uh, was something that I don't think any of us had really imagined would, would happen. And we might talk about that in a little bit more depth in a moment in in, in regards to, to Ken and some of the organizations and everything that that comes back to. But it looks as if the UAE and Thailand, as mentioned, are the two teams sort of leading from the front here. Thailand showing that, you know, this golden age that they have in, in the senior ranks, well, it looks as if there is a crop that is coming through and, and certainly going to be challenging some of the senior members of the international team. We know that a few of these players have played at senior international level already. But UAE, I think, are probably the big story here at the moment. They're looking like the team to beat a few fantastic performances. Yeah, Mahika Gore was the, the one to tear through the Nepali lineup. But for the first time, we've seen quite a few of these players showing their class. Oh, and good to see Elsa Hunter too back for Malaysia as hmm. well. That's a name that popped up a couple of years ago. We sort of know about her story, grows up in Australia, obviously qualifies for Malaysia, but plays a great cricket in, in Sydney. She's a great story as well. But yeah, to, to bring it back to sort of the first point, UAE in Thailand at this point, the, the front runners in, in this qualifier, and it's good to see the next crop of talent coming through in the region. It's certainly a hotbed of both men's and women's cricket, especially over the last five years or so. Yeah, this is um, not great timing for, for our recording, actually, because um, the... I guess the deciding match between UAE and Thailand is, is happening after we record. But uh, uh, yeah, so that'll kind of be the real test between the two of them. And, and they, you know, obviously they're both undefeated so far in the tournament. But it, it, it's kind of almost a, a preview of, you know, where's the region going to be in five years' time? Because the UAE have just such a production line of talent coming through on, well, both men's and women's sides of the game. You know, can they in the next little while, you know, build a team that'll take over from Thailand. You know, the, the Thai juggernaut has had so much stability in that Thai women's team over the last few years, and that's helped them to, to mesh as a unit and um, and obviously, uh, you know, continue their uh, you know, amazingly successful run in the Asia region. So, yeah, that Thailand-UAE match, it's a bit of a shame none of these games are being streamed as far as I can see. All we can really get is the, you know, the, the scorecard that turns up on the ICC website. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of disappointing. But um, Tirta Satish, again for UAE, piling on the runs. The UAE, who've but they've lost two wickets in four matches uh, in the whole competition. Crazy, so, that's <laughs> that should tell you where they're at. But, yeah, Mahika Gao, uh, she's already played a number of games um, bowling leg spin for the UAE senior women's team. And, and this is a thing, you know, they have so many young players coming through and it's the same on the on the Thai side as well you know players like Putawan who who's not even the best player in this uh, Thai under-19s team and she's played a few games for the senior team as well um, I, one thing that caught my eye was five runouts uh, against Nepal. They they thrashed them, bowled them out for 40. Uh, we can talk about uh, Nepal's dismal performances uh, in a second, but the, you know the fact that they're still building the I guess the Thai team around um, their fielding prowess and 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 working well as a unit is quite interesting. Then you know the next generation is still. Uh, following that formula that's worked so well for the senior side over the last few years, so that's that's a good story. And yeah, I mean, it 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 always has been a kind of a question of where will Thailand go next with players like say Sonner and Tipok retiring probably in the next couple of years. Um, and you know how are they going to uh, fill those uh, those huge shoes of the golden generation who's got them so far? And yeah, it will be interesting to see how they go against the a very strong UAE side. 
And all of the listeners here listening as if we're idiots knowing that they've got the result well and truly uh, locked up in their memory banks as they've been listening to this on the Friday after the match has concluded. But yeah, just to, to kind of pick up on a couple of things, you know, the likes of, uh, yeah, the, the Pacha Putawong and, and Fanita Maya have already played for the Thai senior team and to see them come back I'm sure they're imparting a lot of knowledge and, and advice to some of the the new Thai talent coming through and and that's two-thirds of the battle in some ways especially in women's associate cricket it's all about that that advice and that experience that, that you get and you would probably think that things aren't going to change a terrible lot in five years in the region I know that Bahrain are, are moving into China with their women's league that they've started you know that there's possibly another international team that there is, that is strong at this level but yeah you would think that UAE and, and Thailand are probably going to be the front runners that's if the sleeping giantess of Nepal fails to wake up and I think this is another point that that goes back a couple of weeks ago again it's another theme where it just seems as if the lack of infrastructure in Nepali cricket is is letting the potential talent of the Nepali national team, in this case, the under-19 women's team, down. Uh, They've come here, and it's this weird complex that Nepali fans sometimes find themselves in where they're really happy that they beat the likes of Qatar and others, but then get comprehensively beaten by UAE and then seem to think that that's kind of their own little space in this ecosystem of Asian cricket. And I think we both know that there's so much more capable than than what's happening here. I mean, a team that's bowled out for eight, you know, that's not just a couple of players having a bad day. That tells to me that tells me that there's a systemic problem in the way that cricket in this part of the world, in this country, is put together. I mean, if there's no under-16s, under-18s, under-19s national championships and there's no way of knowing who your best squad members are or there's no way to, to harness those skills and harness those players who are ready to go to the next level, I just don't know how you expect to just magically improve. It's not as if 11 players are just going to be born of out of nothing and all of a sudden change the world. I mean, the whole reason why Thailand exists is the, the program that they had of, of converting softballers and teaching them the game and basically building it from the ground up. It just seems that Nepal are just kind of putting 11 players there and just hoping that they'll do something. And I feel as if the players there are the ones who are being let down there. And on the outside, it might look like they're underperforming, but if they're not given the best chance to succeed at the next level, they're never going to move up to that next level. Yeah, as you say, it does tie back to, you know, sort of what we've been talking about the last couple of uh, weeks in terms of, uh, you know, it just seems like the Cricket Association of Nepal can is just a bit too busy with picking a fight over their T20 league and, you know, all the kind of administrative stuff going on there. And is that really where the priority should be at the moment? I would argue not when you look at the performance of their, you know, this is this is what their women's program is throwing up is a team that gets bowled out for eight. In any other circumstances, that would be cause for a lot of self-reflection. You know, what if this happened to the men's team in in regional qualifiers? I don't think it would just be kind of brushed off. I I think there would be a lot of questions asked of, you know, what Ken is up to. And the fact that they don't have that same standard for the women uh, is just kind of shows you where Ken's mentality is with the way that they're running the game. And it's not good enough. 
Yes, we wait and see what the the response is after this tournament, whether or not you know changes is made or things are put in motion because you know it's obvious that the things aren't working there and and you feel for the players i just don't know how you can expect them to perform if there's just no platform for them to to have the chance first of all and and to somehow blood the work and and flourish because yeah it's 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 quite remarkable what's going on there hoping that those who are in power in nepali cricket are watching and and take the right course of action for for the next step and for some improvement in the game because we know that they're better than that. I think everyone could see it from the outside. And let's just hope that, yeah, again, people can can see that and, and put the right measures in place. Let's move on to some women's cricket that's already started uh, by the time that you're listening to this, but uh, not before we record. The women's Kubuka tournament is back. One of our favorite events. One of the events in the associate calendar that truly encapsulates what emerging cricket is about. Gahunga Cricket Stadium, one of the best grounds in the world. If you haven't seen a photo of it, make sure you have a look. Uh, treat your eyes to some stadium pornography. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's an interregional competition this year, not just African teams competing with Brazil and, and Germany joining the likes of Botswana, Kenya, Nigeria, Rwanda, Tanzania, and Uganda. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of great reunions here at Kubuka with a lot of these players competing, also featuring in uh, the Fair Break tournament just a few weeks ago. Some people who have who have probably made friends and followed each other on the social media platforms, hyping up, visiting each other again and, and playing against each other in international cricket, women's T20 international cricket. So great to see. One of our favorite tournaments, as we said. One big group as well. Uh, so everyone playing each other once, I think. Playing 32 matches. That's uh... <laughs> Yeah, I mean... You can't say that uh, you're not getting your, your money's worth if, you, if you're rocking up to the Gahunga Cricket Stadium. But looking forward to it, just off the top of my head, looking at the teams, you would probably think that the Lady Cranes slash Victoria Pearls of Uganda are probably favourites here, coming off that series win in Nepal as well. But I'm interested to see how the likes of Brazil and Germany go in African cricket in a different context, playing on a different surface and, and just testing themselves against African opposition. It, it, it's sure to throw up some intriguing matchups and and we're going to be here watching it and enjoying it Nick. Well, and I mean you can't leave out Kenya who are the defending champions, you know. They've turned up at the last minute after apparently not being uh, sort of expected to to be uh, in in the previous edition and then they just came and won the whole thing. So, um you can't can't leave them yeah, out. It's sort of peak Kenyan cricket, isn't it? Really yeah. on brand that. <laughs> yeah, where's where's Kenya? Oh, well they just turn up and win and then disappear without explaining. So that's uh, <laughs> um but yes, uh, I think yeah we've we've been hyping this up for a while and it's, it's finally upon us. But uh, yeah, just the fact that Brazil and Germany are going to be playing against um, some African teams will be a, a really interesting barometer of where both of those teams are. And you know they've both been going you know rising up through the ranks in their respective regions. Obviously Brazil um, <laughs> uh, finished second in the Americas qualifier, smashing poor old Canada twice. Um, so yeah, that that's um, it's it's a bittersweet um to to see Brazil doing so well on a personal level, but um, yes, uh, Germany as well. They're sort of the clear next best team after your Scotland and Netherlands in in the women's associate game in Europe. Um, you know, players like Anurada Dodabalpour, who's been on the show, and and obviously um, you know, Janet Ronalds, Christina Goff, Stephanie Frommeyer, all these names that we've we've seen playing in the European region. It will be interesting to see them 
it's kind of like these um you know crossover movie events you know you you're getting <laughs> players like Concio Weco playing against Roberta Avery you know who <laughs> it's just this kind of and it is kind of a shame that that's that's such a novelty that teams do play so rarely out of their region um but yeah i think you're probably right to point out Uganda as the favorites but as i said you know Kenya can't discount them the hosts Rwanda they're always a threat and the, the two kind of non-African teams will, will be, uh, yeah, it's a bit of an unknown quantity because we don't, we, we, these these teams are so siloed in their regions. Um, but uh, just one quick point I would kind of make is, is a bit of a shame Namibia is not there. I think they're possibly touring somewhere else at the time. So it didn't, didn't fully work out with their schedule, but uh, I hope they, they don't feel that they've sort of outgrown this level of cricket because that that would be a bit of a shame. Yeah, again, going to be looking at, at this with, with great interest and, and streamed all over the world too, so we'll be able to watch that as well. Uh, ICC Development Awards uh, were announced on Monday. Six uh, winners. Namibia actually... Well, there were six awards and five winners because Namibia actually won two out of the six awards. Uh, going through each award winner, the ICC Development Initiative of the Year went to Cricket Namibia for their Ashburton Quarter Mini Cricket Program. The 100% Cricket Female Cricket Initiative of the Year went to Bahrain Cricket Federation for their Women's League that they started up at the end of last year. Uh, the ICC Associate Members Men's Performance of the Year went to Namibia for their win over Ireland at the T20 World Cup. Uh, on the women's side, it was Thailand at the Women's Cricket World Cup qualifier last year, uh, defeating Bangladesh. The ICC Cricket for Good Social Impact Initiative of the Year went to Nigeria Cricket Federation for their IDP program. And the ICC Digital Fan Engagement of the Year went to Estonia Cricket Association for their Always On campaign. Uh, I had the pleasure of being able to sit down with quite a few of the winners uh, of this, and I think one of the lessons I took out of it is it's just it's just great just to listen to to some of the energy and and some of the stories of of the work being put in and, and the positive outcomes that that cricket can bring. You know, I want to highlight Nigeria in particular and in their work with the internally displaced uh, people's camps in in Nigeria where. Boko Haram displaced many people, the insurgents of, of Boko Haram in the northwest of Nigeria, forcing the, the displacement of millions of people uh, in Nigeria who have moved you know, predominantly to the, to the south. And in response to that, the Nigerian Cricket Federation and their program with cricket not only supplying humanitarian aid, clothes, food, shelter, but also imparting uh, cricket clinics and imparting the important sort of life lessons of, of cricket the way that the Musa and, and Emeka of, of Cricket Nigeria, Cricket uh, Nigerian Cricket Federation spoke about that was was something that I'll kind of remember for a long time and we'll hear some of the, the, the chats that I managed to have over, I suppose, the, the coming weeks when we do talk about a few different things. But also looking at some of the other awards, you know, the Ashburton Quarter program in Namibia where, you know, the closing down of schools and multiple waves of COVID made it very difficult and they had to sort of think outside the box in, in terms of how they put their clinics together, basically went out to open fields, car parks, beaches, just to host cricket events for, you know, kids from grades one to four. I think they had a 71% increase in participants to something like 67,000 kids in that age bracket, which is a remarkable figure given that, you know, the population of Namibia is only 2.45 million people. 
and then the likes of Estonia, Stuart Hook, the president of Estonia, telling us about his uh, always-on campaign. Uh, they donated cryptocurrency to the Indian COVID relief fund, uh, started their own app, gained a ridiculous following on, on many social media platforms. Uh, just with you know a handful of people working there, and then the Bahrain Women's Cricket League was basically up and running within four four months after it went from boardroom to winners podium, which is ridiculous in this day and age. They had two hundred participants sign up and and play in their first ever women's league, and then they competed in the the Gulf Cup uh, as a national team not long after that. And then looking at the the performances of the year, we, we know about both Namibia and Thailand. And I think we can safely say over the past few years, they are the two, I would say two of the leading lights in the associate world from a elite level aspect. Uh, Namibia winning that game against Ireland, which I know it was just for that one particular performance, but that entire campaign, I think showcases everything good about cricket Namibia and their organization. And then, to Thailand, and we discussed in great detail, I suppose, the the misfortune and, and the events that happened after the cancellation of the Women's Cricket World Cup qualifier, and I know that for many, this award will be somewhat of a, of a mere consolation, given that things could have been so much different at that qualifier, but to still be, I think, recognised for, for that effort it, it is something, and yeah, I, I know that... Uh, I'm caught between a bit of a rock and a hard place here, having you know spoken and written about it. But yeah, I think the award, while it is somewhat bittersweet, it just kind of goes to show just how well Thailand cricket is is doing in this particular space. And and again, I don't think it'll be the last time we hear of of Thailand flourishing on the international stage. They've got one day international status now. We'll see in the future if it if it brings some further success. But yeah, I think on the field, you know, looking at Namibia and Thailand, just good recognition for some of the hard work they've done on the field as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I don't want to, you know, bring the the, the vibe down too much. So we we don't need to re-litigate the um, Thailand uh, being ripped off at the qualifiers. But um, yeah, Namibia especially, uh, for for such a... (laughs) I mean, we, we we all say this, but for such a small nation, you know, the fact that they are doing so well and, you know, they have so much depth and we might um, briefly touch on their series against Hong Kong as well. So, but the the fact that their team is just so good um, after, you know, uh, probably about a decade kind of in the wilderness where they, they were there or thereabouts, but they were never really quite challenged for anything. And uh, just ever since they, they qualified in 2019, they've just kind of been, um, you know, hitting boundary after boundary if you want to make a cricket analogy you know the 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 kids participation program is one of a number of programs that they've got going they also have um some some work that they do up in the remote areas and and some stuff in Volfus Bay as well and and just getting kids playing cricket and I guess to to kind of go back to our previous um uh, our previous discussion about what can are up to, especially with their women's team, you know, the fact that Bahrain can put together a women's team and, you know, get a bunch of women playing cricket and get a national team and, you know, get them playing in a tournament and, and you know, all that within a couple of months, it's sort of like, well, you know, if you want to do it, you can, you know, it, it it's... You can. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pun not intended, but, um, yeah, you know, if if the will is there you'll find a way to do it. And yeah, so th- the fact that they're doing so well with relatively little kind of just shows, uh, <laughs> it's sort of almost embarrassing for Can the fact that 
uh, a team can basically be created overnight like that. Uh, whereas can have had so much of a, a head start and they they're still struggling. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, great great achievements for all of these boards as well. Um, especially you know you're looking at Nigeria as you say. There's there's so much good work coming out of Africa and and they'll be participating in the Kwabuka again as as we mentioned. Um, and and Africa is just a just a really exciting. Uh, place for cricket in general, but especially women's cricket with, with so much development going on at the moment. That's everything for this week. Next week, Tim, Nick, and myself, Daniel Beswick, will all be in the same place recording the show. Can't wait for that. Thank you to all of you for listening in. Once again, make sure to subscribe to the Emerge Cricket Podcast if you haven't done so already, so you can tune in as soon as it drops every week. Pass the pot around and make sure to give us a five-star review. If you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket where you can support us from as little as $2 a month. You'll get access to extended cuts of a number of our shows and have a say on the show's direction. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Bezik, we'll see you next week.